Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, October 21st, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, gubernatorial candidates debating, Republicans raking, Senate ratings changing, and Iowans voting. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me today is the full podcast roster. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. We have Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Good morning, Caleb. Glad to be back, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. As is Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Aaron, prime ministers come and go, but the uh, the On Iowa Politics podcast is forever. <laughs> Hopefully at least as long as some of these prime ministers. My goodness. And Gazette, Tom, Gazette columnist Todd Dorman is here as well. Good morning, Todd. Good morning, and I, I hope we're here longer than, you know, the the uh, head of lettuce that was the Brits. <laughs> that there was a that the one uh, media source had on the on their uh, who would last longer, trust or the lettuce, and the lettuce won. Oh man, what was it? Was it Chappelle's show that did the skit where they ran a plant for president, or was that something else? Someone someone did that. Uh, the the plant oh no i know who it was now it was the it was stand-up comedian lewis black he talked about he thinks he could get a plant elected president and you put it in just the right light and you put a little water on it to make it look nice and shiny in a, a co- campaign commercial and he um so uh, lewis black was way ahead of his time clearly i think a chia pet could get elected that's <laughs> that's my feeling vote chia All right. Speaking of voting, I wanted to start this week with a little PSA. Journalism is, after all, a public service. Backpat, backpack, backpat. Early voting in Iowa began on Wednesday this past week. So Iowans now are officially casting ballots in these 2022 midterm elections. Most folks who are politically inclined enough to listen to an Iowa politics podcast probably already know this. But for any listeners who may not, I'd like us to real quickly go over some new state elections laws that could affect people's ability to submit a ballot in this election, especially for those who want to vote early or by mail. Uh, Caleb, you put together an explainer piece this week for voters. Uh, What should Iowans be aware of this election, especially, like I said, if they're voting early or absentee? Yeah, so um, voting early is uh, pretty quick and painless. There's just a few dates um, that, that you should probably remember. Um, this coming Monday, there's a couple deadlines to, it's a deadline to request an absentee ballot by mail and also to register if you want to register before election day. Um, and so since this podcast is coming out on Friday, if you vote by mail, it's probably best to bring that absentee ballot request to, directly to the county auditor's office um, to make sure it gets there on time. Uh, and, uh, the mail ballot, if you get a ballot in the mail needs to be sent back to your auditor by 8 PM on election day. That's a big change from 2020. It used to be have until the following Monday, I think. Yeah. The following Monday to get back, but now it has to be in their hands by the time the polls close on election day. Um, you can also bring it in directly to your auditor or drop it at Dropbox in some, in some counties if you're worried about it getting there on time. But that being said, um, alternatively from voting by mail, you can vote early directly at your auditor's office. Um, if you go in usually during business hours, Monday through Friday, um, up right up until the election, um, you'll need to be registered at, in that county and also have your ID with you. Um, and a lot of counties also have satellite locations that you can find at your, you can look up at your auditor's office website usually. 
Um, and then, of course, with all those options, we do have an election day. So you, um, you can vote then, too. That's November 8th. Um, polls are going to be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. You, again, need to bring your ID and find your local precinct. And uh, if you're not registered to vote, you can register directly at the polls before you vote, but you need to bring a proof of residence in that case. Um, and then as far as a couple other changes, um, there, there, I guess there is a change about bringing an absentee ballot back. Uh, if you, Before 2021, um, the rules were a, little, a lot looser around other people bringing your absentee ballot back to the um, county auditor's office. Now it has to be a member of your immediate family or a member of your household. Um, if you're not the person bringing it back, uh, other than that, um, that I kind of went through the other changes there. So that's kind of the the quick and quick and easy version of voting. So, so Caleb, is it true that if you're a Trump supporter, you can vote simply by thinking about it? <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that's been uh, altered in the law quite yet. But we'll okay, see. all right, I'm just checking <laughs> checking on that. Bringing the declassification jokes. <laughs> We're off to a rolling start. I love it. Um, yeah, so Caleb, and you touched on this, but I just wanted to, because <clears throat> I think it bears repeating, uh, those, especially for the folks who are thinking about voting uh, by mail, those new deadlines, and, and, and especially that hard deadline of Election Day. Um, if you're thinking about voting by mail, uh, make sure your ballot is uh, back in the mail in more than enough time so you're confident that it gets back to the post office because uh, with very, very, very few exceptions, if it doesn't get to the auditor's office by election day um, at 8 PM, when the polls closed, uh, it won't get counted um, no matter when you mailed it. So if the post office has some kind of mix up where it doesn't get there, that's, that's, that'll just be an unfortunate thing and your ballot won't count. Uh, so um, folks who are choosing to vote that route, first of all, hopefully you already have your request in. Um, and if you're not, you should uh, be doing that. Uh, yesterday uh, because the request has to be received and then the ballot sent to you <clears throat> and then you have to send the ballot back. So, so that's a, a, a multi-day process obviously there. And you want to make sure that <clears throat> that is uh, in motion before the clocks count down those final days uh, to the election. And then Caleb listed all the other ways that you can still vote early in person as well. If you're, if you're worried about the mail. <clears throat> All right, Caleb, thanks for that. Now that we know how to vote properly and ensure those ballots are counted, let's move on to these elections. More than a little bit of intrigue was added to Iowa's 2022 U.S. Senate campaign with one-two punch of big news this week. First, over last weekend, a new Mediacom Des Moines Register Iowa poll showed Democratic challenger Mike Franken within three percentage points of Republican incumbent Chuck Grassley. Three points. Uh, Grassley has won his six re-election campaigns by an average of 35 points, and he's up three with three weeks to go, according to the Iowa poll. That's amazing. Um, and then, and probably in no small part due to that poll, two prominent national f elections forecasters this week changed their ratings for that U.S. Senate campaign in Iowa to, in Franken's favor. Uh, the political report and Sabato's crystal ball both changed their ratings from safe or solid Republican to likely Republican. Um, so, Todd, look, I mean, likely Republican is still a fairly strong indication that those forecasters still believe Grassley will win. Uh, but it's just not quite as strong a belief as they held uh, before this week and before that new poll. How significant are these ratings changes? Oh, they're absolutely huge. 
no, I'm I'm lying. Uh, I mean, you know, I, Ohio State is a uh, is a uh, is is a lock to beat Iowa on Saturday. So that's the forecast that I'm paying attention to. Uh, I, I, so is that game solid Buckeyes? Or solid like Buckeyes. Buckeyes. Yeah, they're okay. they're they're up twenty nine okay. already, okay. and the game hasn't started, which I don't think is fair. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it it these ratings indicate that some of the folks nationally are kind of coming around to what most of us already sort of knew that this was a different race for Senator Grassley and that it was going to be more difficult and, and closer. And I think a lot of folks nationally sort of dismiss that because as you say, Grassley is kind of Mr. Landslide and, and is seen as kind of an iconic political figure in Iowa. And, uh, so this indicates that things are moving in Franken's direction. Is Grassley still favored? Yeah, according to these forecasts, you know, I saw a lot of Republicans this week sort of discounting the the Register's Iowa poll because, you know, it, it made it look closer than they believe it is. But, I mean, this is a different kind of election for Grassley. He's trying to run for an eighth term. He's 89 years old. Uh You know, he may just, it happens to a lot of politicians, you sort of stay too long. And, uh, and, 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 you know, in this, in this political climate, I mean, it favors Republicans, but you've also got a fair number of voters that aren't enamored with sort of career politicians who have been in public office as long as Grassley, you know, you know, half a century <laughs> since 1959. Uh, so I, I think it is closer. I would say it's more of a toss up than likely Republican, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm not one of the the high paid forecasters of elections. I'd like to, I'd like to know how you get to do that. I guess. What is there like a, a major in college? Like sort of is it, 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 meteorology, maybe, I guess, you know, 20% chance of rain, 80% chance of grassly. I, I don't, I don't know. You're going to get like emails that. from Nate uh, Silver, Todd. I know. And he's got, what is, he has the scenarios, the a hundred scenarios. And I think Franken wins right. like one out of a hundred. Right. So, right. uh, but, you know, I, I forget what percentage Hillary Clinton was favored by, by Nate Silver's outfit before the 2016 right. election. So forecasts, you, you just, you, you never know. Pack an umbrella. You know, uh, Todd, it, it might shock you that some of the same people that were dismissing the poll about Franken and Grassley, they, they didn't seem to have any problems with the same newspaper's poll about Kim Reynolds and uh, Deidre Dejir. I It's... It's bizarre. It's well, funny it's, how that works, isn't it? It's kind of it's kind of like the presidential election was stolen, but but my election was fine. <laughs> it's you know all the other Republicans that got elected there that was all that was all fair and square. But Biden, what's going on? Yeah, I think I think it's also interesting to look at the other states that are in that category. At least on I think both uh, Cook and Sabato's crystal ball have um, Florida and Utah also is likely Republican. And Florida's weird because it. I, I think it shifted more Republican this cycle, but I mean, Utah, you have Mike Lee and uh, Evan McMullen, independent Evan McMullen. And that's one of those that, you know, I saw a couple months ago, people, it was kind of the same thing. You know, it was considered to be obvious it was going to be a Republican. And then there's some whisperings of like, oh, could, you know, could McMullen actually win? So I think we're kind of in that same general camp, you know. Well, and McMullen now has the force, having been endorsed by, uh, by Luke Skywalker. So that's right. That's a that's a big factor. And Marco Rubio was mad in Florida because he didn't think the questions from the media during his debate helped him get his message across, which is ultimately 
the goal of all debate moderators is to make sure that the candidates get their messages across. Oh, careful, Todd. Careful. You're going to get me in trouble all over again. And and one other thing I would I would mention too, which is some some other numbers. I I don't necessarily ever put as much stock in these as like actual polling and everything, but like the like political betting markets, Grassley has not changed very much and is still like a huge overwhelming favorite. And like some of the people that are on there are just trying to swing the lines and everything, but like most of the people that are putting big money on those websites aren't idiots when it comes to this stuff. So take that with massive grains of salt, but that's another data point. Yeah. I think I, I, I Todd, I would tend to agree with you that, and, and like you said, for folks here on the ground, I know I've been um, talking about this from the start that I, that the, the likelihood that this was going to be another Grassley plus 30 election was extremely, extremely small. If you're not, and not even because it has anything to do with Chuck Grassley, we just live in completely different political times than we did even six years ago, which is kind of, crazy to say um but but the days of democrats voting for chuck grassley are largely over um and 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 so we knew that this one was going to be uh more competitive and we also knew but at the end of the day it was going to be really tough to 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 beat chuck grassley and i think that still remains the case and that iowa poll just shows that maybe things are even a little tighter uh than than some of us thought and 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 we'll see and um here we go. Everybody say it with me. The only poll that matters is the one on election day. Uh, and we'll see how that and the works. 20 days before election day. And, and then, the, and, and then the, and then the re the recounts. So, <laughs> and then the, the postmortem. Don't do that to me. Uh, I want to go to bed at noon on November 9th and not have to wake up until Christmas. Don't do that to me. Uh, Jared, you, uh, covered Mike Franken uh, this week as he cast his early ballot in person. Speaking of uh, early before, it just it all ties together so neatly here on the On Iowa Politics podcast. Um, uh, what did the Admiral have to say? Did he have a little extra pep in his step coming off the heels of this poll? And he's had some good fundraising numbers lately. Um, I would I would certainly say so. And, you know, it's weird to go from from last month and the, the allegations of the, the unwanted kissing and that leading to articles saying that the the campaign is kaput com- to what we've had over the past, you know, week now where we just talked about those numbers. And yeah, I, I covered him on, on Thursday afternoon and he came back to Sioux city to vote early as did uh, JD Scholten, who's running uh, uncontested in uh, Iowa house district one. So he has a lot to, to sweat out. Um, and, you know, Franken got asked about the, the recent polling and the cook political report moves. And, you know, he had some excitement about it during the, the press scrum, but then, the, the pep in his step was much clearer during an event last night that Franken held at uh, Western Iowa Tech here in, in Sioux City. He, he started off his like remarks by talking about voting Grassley out of office, and then he ended his main remarks. Literally, it was basically the walk-off before he took a couple questions by saying, uh, he's beatable and we're going to beat him, which, you know, I, I've covered plenty of campaign events, and, you know, people have their sign-offs, but I usually don't hear specifically the combination of we're, like – going to beat him because this opponent is beatable so like they're definitely feeling uh invigorated right now by by the polling and everything yeah that would make sense it'd be it'd be hard not to and like i said who knows how this will ultimately go and who knows how close to the mark uh that i will poll is and and how much the winds could still shift in in this last three weeks ish um 
but yeah, it's hard to imagine that the team Frank and team uh, wouldn't be uh, feeling uh, at least a little emboldened right now. Um, we'll uh, be talking about it right up until election day. Um, in the meantime, moving on uh, earlier this week, Republican incumbent Kim Reynolds and Democratic challenger Deidre DeGere participated in the only debate uh, for those two candidates this cycle. Uh, the Reynolds camp <clears throat> camp just agreed to the one while the DeGere campaign had agreed to three debates. Um, again, I was on the panel for this one and, and close to the fire. So let's start by going around the horn uh, first and get everyone else's thoughts uh, on the debate. Um, and then if you're tuning in to hear me talk about it, yes, I will address that discussion uh, about the debate uh, after everybody else goes uh, through. Aaron here. Murphy pushes back. <laughs> <laughs> so t- t- Tom, we'll let you start us off. What uh, what did you think about uh, uh, what Reynolds and DeGere had to say Monday night? Um, you know, I think like most people, um, the biggest moments that stood out to me had to be, have been the, the clash over um, uh, the abortion issue. Um, I guess the, the biggest moment that really stood out to me was when um, was, was Governor Reynolds' response to a heartbreaking story by DeGere of a pregnant third grader by chastising her opponent over late term abortion. You know, Republicans across the country have tried to turn the debate around abortion access away from, you know, a push to implement abortion bans with very little exceptions to instead uh, framing Democrats position as extreme. Reynolds attempted this uh, during the debate, accusing uh, DeGere of supporting abortion up to the moment of birth. Uh, Desir talked about volunteering in an after-school program as a senior in high school um, at one of the No Child Left Behind schools, as she she mentioned. She said she was tutoring a, a third grader, and there came a day when the third grader got to school and uh, she couldn't button her pants. Uh, Desir said that she felt the girl's belly and it was tight. She went to her mother to tell her that uh, she suspected the girl may be pregnant. She said her mother took the the third grader to the nurse's office, and according Dejir come to find out the little girl was three months pregnant. Uh, Dejir went on to say that with trying to dictate and regulate pregnancy in black and white uh, the way that um, she argued Governor Reynolds uh, wants to do, um, that that little girl uh, has minimal options, if any at all, and that uh, we cannot put Iowans in those types of situations. Reynolds, in response, said, so it's late-term abortion, uh, interrupting DeGere as um, she started to talk about her faith. Um, the governor went on to say that um, DeGere and Democrats believe that you can abort a baby right up until the moment it's born. Um, the response from Reynolds kind of came off as, as callous um, and, um, uh, you know, um, probably didn't get maybe the, the results that, that she was intending. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that was again sitting there close to things. That that moment stood out to me too. Uh, so it's interesting to hear um, you fire that one off right off off, off the start, Tom. I, th- I thought that was an interesting um, exchange. Sarah, uh, how about you? What, you have any thoughts to add on uh, uh, the Monday night's debate? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that exchange um, on abortion was definitely really. I wasn't expecting it. Certainly that, you know, somebody running for governor would have known a third grader who was pregnant. I mean, that's just such an unusual situation. And then the response to that um, certainly was surprising. 
um, two, you know, I think that the, the two really hit on their, their, you know, campaign issues ahead of, ahead of the election. And it's, it, uh, was interesting to me to see how, how they both painted the state of Iowa in, um, education and childcare in particular, you know, um, Deidre DeGere is talking about how uh, Iowa's fallen in the rankings rankings of education, um, how Iowa ranks really low for the number of uh, mental health care providers, and and Reynolds, of course, ra- rattling off um, different statistics, different programs that they've started, how they've increased school K twelve school funding every year, um, and of course, you know, educators have said, "Well, okay, you've increased funding every year, but it hasn't kept pace with rising costs." And so, um, just their different visions and ideas of how the state is operating and going, um, I just found you know to be interesting and and insightful into the um, into the election. And the other thing that I just noted was I thought was interesting was. Um, I really thought that Kim Reynolds's handling of COVID was really going to be a bigger issue in this race. Um, but as we've seen COVID decline or, you know, kind of fade away from the national um, conversation and fewer people are getting serious illnesses, it's, it seems to have kind of died away in the in, in the campaign as a, as a core issue. But um, of course, Republicans are really going after this. You know, we kept schools open and as like kids are um, facing these these challenges and, and uh, gaps in learning from the pandemic. So I guess I also found that kind of interesting that there didn't seem to be a lot of talk about Reynolds's handling of the pandemic, other than, of course, her saying, talking about it. Right. Yep. I was gonna say, Sarah, you saying that like does make me wonder if if this election had been happening in 2020 instead of 2022, like how much of a difference those kinds of conversations and those criticisms would have mattered and affected like Reynolds's campaign and maybe boosted the Democrats' campaign. Yep. Yeah. That. that and 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 it, it's interesting. You don't even really hear. DJ Dejir talking about that a lot on the campaign trail, and I say a lot. I don't know if if she t- I've heard her talk about it at all. Um, uh, I, I and and I wonder if that's a a, a sign that uh, Democrats just don't see that as a um a, a voting issue uh for Iowans, and and to the degree that it is, um uh for as as, as strongly as a lot of people felt about um uh Governor Reynolds' handling of the pandemic, um. There are a significant percentage of the Iowa population that is adamantly supportive of 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 the way she handled it, and, and even in some cases felt that she went too far. Um, uh, uh, Jared, let, let let's stick with you. Did you have any other thoughts on uh, Monday night's debate? So um, something I was thinking about because this was another one of the ones that like uh, broke uh, containment and made the rounds on uh, Twitter afterward, and it was. Um, Reynolds, you know, talking about the student loan forgiveness and saying if, you know, you're a truck driver or a machinist or a nurse or a person that decided to not seek a college education, why should you be responsible in paying somebody else's off, especially when they make more than you? And the the thing in particular I was thinking about with that is, you know, people were making fun of that and and everything. But I'm wondering, like, as a, a candidate challenging her, like the the smartest thing you could probably do is turn around that appeal that's clearly like a populist appeal with one of your own and ask, you know, why is it that we've gotten to this point in American life that jobs like truck drivers or machinists, you know, don't pay as much as they they once did? 
that that seems like that would have been a primo opportunity to bring up that kind of like kitchen table stuff and really hammer that home. So that that feels like a little bit of a, a missed opportunity, maybe. All right. Caleb, you were there covering this thing uh, for us. What stood out to you? Yeah, I think uh, everyone kind of took all the big moments um, from me. So I, I, I will echo what everyone else said. Um, and, you know, just think uh, overall, it did seem in a lot of ways, um, you know, I've seen both of these candidates give their kind of campaign speeches and it seemed um, like they were kind of sticking to their their main issues. And, you know, if you're tuning in as an undecided voter, um, I, I don't know how, as we as we often say, how much the, the debate did to to sway too many voters. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the discussion on abortion was certainly um, a obviously each uh, did your story was was a very um, uh, heart wrenching story. And, and you know, that was uh, definitely impactful. Um, and then, uh, you know, looking at the discussion about taxes, um, you know, Deidre Dejir pointing to a, a potential revenue loss um, in the in the future and saying that, you know, Iowa systems aren't working for low and moderate income Iowans, um, while Reynolds was, was you know, saying that she's returning money to the taxpayers and, and getting people, um, getting money back into people's pockets, which might, I think is, is a worth, uh, a, a valuable uh uh, persuasive tactic, you know, especially now with uh, inflation being the highest priority on people's minds, people are thinking, you know, uh, lower taxes means more money that I can spend on, uh, you know, goods and services. So, yeah, I think it was a interesting debate um, all around. But Caleb, what were the uh, what were the vibes like? You know, we we took a lot of the big moments. What were the overall? What were the vibes? The vibes were <laughs> the vibes were the same as the vibes in the media room were. I feel the same as uh, every other every other one. You know, everyone's just just typing away. Everyone's you know trying to trying to knock out uh, their story and go home for the night. So I would say those are the vibes. <laughs> that's that's good. <laughs> All right, Todd, uh, bring us home. What did you think about uh, Monday night's debate? Well, I you know I I agree with what Tom was saying about the sort of the callousness of her response to that uh, story about the third grader. Although I, that wasn't, there seemed to be more callousness than that. I mean, Desir was talking about the importance of children's mental health and related her story of how her, her mother died a few days after giving birth to her little sister and, and how that turned her world upside down. And she was glad that she was able to, to, uh, you know, get some, get some help, access some services. Governor, no acknowledgement of it at all. And, you know, Desir talked about this this guy from Dubuque whose son had suicidal thoughts. He was hoping to get him some mental health care, was told in Dubuque it would be months before he could see a provider, and ended up having to take his son all the way across the state to a, a bed that was open in, in Sioux City. And again, the governor sort of just, then just launched into a defensive string of, uh, you know, uh, statements about how they've been, you know, addressing those issues. And, and so, I mean, that's, it's, you know, you, you, you want to get your points across, I understand. And you want to, you, you want to, you know, stick to your message, but I think sometimes you have to acknowledge that these policies are about people and not just about politics. And so acknowledging that, you know, these, these can have different effects on people might've been a nice thing for the, for the governor to do, but she, she didn't do that. Uh, and also what struck me was uh, given my coverage of past governors and knowing what I know about the state and its pride in public education was the moment when the governor said that Iowa's public school system should maybe look to Florida for ways that we can improve. 
And I think that struck a lot of people as, you know, being pretty unusual for, for an Iowa governor to say, well, our schools aren't so hot, so let's look to another state for, for what we need to do because we've always prided ourselves on having good schools. And I don't think it's any secret that I'm sure that the governor likes Florida's education system more because they have a very large voucher program and, you know, 80% of which goes to students who are attending religious schools. So I'm sure that's appealing to the governor and and she wants to look to the to the sunshine state for the, for many of those those good ideas. You know, not to not to be too platitudinous or whatever, but uh, as someone who's had to use uh, like mental health care services in a couple of different states, most uh, political leaders should not be defending whatever their status quo is on mental health care coverage. Yeah. Because it's crap across the board in, in a number of states, not just in Iowa, not just in Missouri where I used to live, but in, in a lot of places. So, well, and, and look, <laughs> and that's, and that's regardless yeah. of party, too. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this uh, also, I mean, uh, you talk to the advocates in, in, this, in these fields and, and they will tell you this. So, I'm, I'm, we're not parroting one party or the other's uh, talking points here. No. Uh, the people who are on the ground. <laughs> in this in this arena will tell you um that 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 as much has been done and governor reynolds listed those things and she's correct about you know the the redesign from the county system to the regional system and and the establishment of uh, a children's system all that it has been done and is has been important but uh the, the the laundry list continues to be long and the funding continues to be short according to the to, to all these people who are on the ground in, in this area so um uh that again yeah that's that's not taking a political side here that that that's that's yeah. uh, the facts well and if you if you switch funding buckets from the county to the state that doesn't necessarily improve care yeah if you, I, if you create a children's health system and then don't fund it that also doesn't improve care so well, and I gotta say, I got look. I couldn't help but, and, and this is just as someone who covers the state house and knows how this process works every year. It, what really struck me about that was when Governor Reynolds said, "By moving that funding to the state, it's more reliable now." And I thought, well, that that's an interesting way to describe this annual state budgeting process. <laughs> it's reliable. I, that may be the first time I've ever heard anyone from either party uh, describe well, that, that way. You just pour a little bit of funding into that mental health bucket, and then you just take a huge amount and put it in the taxpayer reserve or the taxpayer relief fund. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's improved a lot of rich people's mental health, though. So, good for them. All right. Uh, okay. So here we go, folks. The, the debate itself, um, and specifically how it was moderated, there was some discussion. Uh, mostly on social media, uh, but I did also receive a small number of emails uh, about how uh, the panelists uh, moderated the candidates. Uh, and for if this is news to you uh, listening right now, to put it simply, uh, some folks felt Governor Kim Reynolds was given too much time to speak um, and was allowed to interrupt uh, uh, um, uh, unchecked. Um, so again, I was on the panel along with WHO TV's David Price and, of course, Iowa Press host Kay Henderson. Um, so I'll just offer some quick thoughts here. Uh, and let me preface this by saying I'm, I'm going to be succinct as possible. If for no other reason, then I, I should not be speaking for the entire Iowa PBS operation. I'm, I'm, I'm not even an employee. I'm, I'm just a contributor to those programs as a, as a contractor, essentially. Um, but here, so here we go. Um, 
that essentially is the Iowa PBS format um, and has been for decades. And I know there was some pushback on even on, on that idea on social media, but, but it really is, it, it's, it, it's not the timed clock of everybody gets one minute and then 30 seconds for a rebuttal and you got to flip off the switch. Then um, that's always been the way we've done it. Um, yeah. I think you can make the argument then this debate, the candidates talked a little longer with some of their answers than, than usual. Um, I think that would probably be fair if, if you broke it down and bless their hearts. Some people out there did. Um, um, but that's cause that's the route that candidates chose. I was involved in both and we did not moderate that debate any differently than we did the Senate debate between Chuck Grassley and Mike Franken. Those two candidates just, spoke in more succinct, you know, gave more succinct answers. And, and they, and I still felt they got their thoughts across too. Um, so if, if the, if the debate at times felt like there were long speaking stretches, it's because that's what the candidates were choosing to do. And we, as moderators chose to let them do that to a certain degree. And when we felt it was time to move on, then we did do that as well. And we did, we, we, it wasn't just completely unchecked. We, we moved the conversation along a couple of times. So, um, uh, I, I, and, and look, honestly, as a neutral observer, I, I, I will also just add that I, I'm kind of surprised by some of the takes on it because I felt like both candidates got their points in. I thought Deidre Dejere got all of her points across. She told Tom told, talked about the story. We all did. I mean, look at the one story that everybody remembers from that debate. And that was a Deidre Dejere moment. She, she, and she was given the space to do that. So, um, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Um, I, 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 I will uh, argue um, uh, confidently that we, we moderated that debate the same as we have um, all other debates on Iowa PBS and for the record. And I have been on the record. In fact, it's ironic. I had a Twitter thread on this before these debates. So I was on the record before this all happened that I prefer that method too. I think it's a better who's tuning in the debate to hear me talk and jump over the candidates. Y'all don't need to hear that. You're here to hear the people who are trying to, uh, uh, be elected to represent you. All right, moving on. Finally, this well, week, I, I was—I was, I was going to—I was going to say, the people that are criticizing this, I mean, they should go go home at Thanksgiving, deliberately start a political conversation, and then try to moderate it. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> that is—that's what they ought to do. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. And then ask ask afterwards if the if the people. They were yelling and screaming from the sidelines, thought it was fairly moderated. <laughs> yep. Yep. How much cranberry sauce got thrown? That's how you judge. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Finally, this week, we want to wrap up with a quick note on campaign fundraising. There's not a lot to say here, honestly, so I do emphasize this will be a quick note. Um, but the latest reports for candidates for state office in the Iowa legislature were due. And, um, well, let me just put it this way. Caleb, uh, was there any good news at all for Iowa Democrats in those reports? Well, there was good news for Rob Sand, um, but that, that's about where it stops. So he's a Democratic state auditor. Uh, he did outraise his opponent, his Republican opponent, Todd Halber. I did a little bit of um, Excel math here, and it was about 14 times the number that uh, Halber raised that Rob Sand raised. But uh, in these last three months, so the reporting period was July through October. Um, but other than that, Republicans continued to dominate in fundraising in the other statewide races. Uh, um, you know, Reynolds, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds raised almost three times what Deidre DeGere, her Democratic opponent, raised. 
uh, about 2.2 million for Reynolds to 806,000 for um, the Jir. And then in the attorney general's race it was also pretty interesting. You saw a lot of um, attorney general organization money coming to both of those candidates. So Brenna Bird actually raised the highest of any candidate in the last quarter, any statewide candidate, um, owing largely to a pretty massive $1.8 million from the Republican Attorneys General Association in two different donations. Um, and then Tom Miller also got some reinforcements from his Democratic Attorneys General Association as well, around $800,000 coming from them uh, toward his a little, a little over $1 million. So there's pretty big numbers flying around in that race um, as well. That's looking to be a nail biter. Um, and then in the other ones, uh, you know, just quickly, you had Robbie Smith, who we um, talked about a little earlier, raising about 340000 uh, compared to Mike Fitzgerald's 45000 uh, um, So, you know, a lot of money going into Robbie Smith, trying to, uh, the Republican, trying to unseat uh, the Democratic uh, uh, treasurer here. And then um, Paul Pay raised more than Joel Miller, the Republican uh, in the uh, Secretary of State uh, race. And then you had the Republican um, Ag Secretary Mike Nag out raising his Democratic challenger, John Norwood. So uh, a lot of money going to Republicans uh, and not as much going to Democrats. That's the that's the quick quick and short version. So the uh, the report was just a, a gif of uh, someone turning out their jeans pocket and a, a moth uh, flying out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more, more or less. Uh, and it's heartwarming to hear those groups sweeping in. Have any of you guys gotten your big uh, checks from the the National uh, Political Journalists Associations uh, to help us out in, in the campaign here? I'm, maybe I'm running on the I'm wrong issues. I'm still waiting on mine. <laughs> come on, yeah. come on, SPJ. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, folks. That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell your friends and subscribe to us on any number of streaming audio services, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. And if you have any topics you'd like to suggest, you just want to reach out, send an email to podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that on Iowa Politics newsletter at our website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muskegon Journal, Council Bluffs, Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. The Olympics will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, the whole gang, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.